welcome to another edition of the Beer Bonnet Podcast, Jeff. Hello, Patrick. Uh, hello, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. We uh, brewed today, you so that's na- good. You didn't, you didn't actually ask me how I was doing, but I just anticipated your question, because yeah. that's usually what you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, regardless of what you want to know, I'm doing well. Uh, uh, as always, um, with me is Jeff Allworth, author of The Beer Bible, uh, from Workman Publishing, Cider Man Simple, from Chronicle Books. Uh, Jeff blogs at Beervana. He blogs at All About Beer and writes for All About Beer magazine. Missing anything? No, that sounds more, more than adequate. You are Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University uh, and a fellow at two fine institutions of research. Uh, you blog at Beeronomics. You tweet at Beeronomics. Am I missing anything? Uh, no, that's about it. I didn't, I didn't do your tweet. You tweet at Beervana too. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're pretty excited about uh, the podcast today. Um, we have a pretty special podcast. Uh, uh, for most of human history and in most places on earth, women have been the ones making the beer. Uh, but that contrasts sharply with the hyper-masculine and often sexist image uh, breweries nurtured in the decades leading up to the arrival of craft beer. Uh, think uh, Coors, Light commercials. <laughs> uh, with craft beer, though, breweries um, mostly dropped sexism, and women now constitute a sizable minority of uh, the customer base. Um, but is the beer world as welcoming for women uh, who want to become brewers, bar owners, writers, and home brewers? We're going to find out today when we speak with women currently working in the brewing industry in these capacities. Uh, this is a show we've been anticipating for months. We've mentioned it, um, and we finally pulled it off. So uh, join us as we learn more. Yeah, we're we're excited. We think we think the, definitely a, a great group of folks here, and uh, it seems to they they have a lot to say. So we're looking forward to this. That's right. And with that tease, we turn now to the news. Yeah, I saw uh, we have a couple of items here, and neither one involves uh, a brewery sale. Although there was actually there was, a brewery sale. There was a brewery sale. We finally got tired. Of talking about <laughs> we ignore that. Uh, the thing that I found was that was interesting is the Anchor Brewery is releasing their steam beer, their famous eponymous steam beer, uh, with uh, a dry hop version. They're adding a dry hop version to this, I think, for three months. And that just struck me as a perfect example of how the American style in brewing is really taking over, mm-hmm. where hops, where the flavor and aroma of hops are so demanded by the consumer that they're being put in, in this kind of sacred beer that yeah. is not known for that kind of uh, presentation um they're doing a uh, an experimental hop and cascades in the dry hopping so i'm actually looking forward to it i think it's cool and I, but i also think it it shows the degree to which america has is developing its palate demanding hops yes <laughs> and the second uh news item you note is that um the oregon brewery from eugene ninkazi uh turns 10 uh uh this um week Actually, I think it was a little while ago, okay. but we just turned we, 10. Just turned 10. Yes, let's say just turned 10. Uh, they are the 36th largest craft brewery in the United States, uh, around 100,000 uh, barrels. Um, they helped launch the modern style of brewing. Uh, it'll be, um, uh, they've really made quite a name for themselves in the state. They grew very fast. They hit the ground running with some fa- fantastic beers. Uh, in fact, you'll hear one mentioned when we. Uh, Get to our interview with the, of the um, with our panel uh, as uh, one of the reasons that they got into beer. So, right. um, <laughs> so it is pretty. It is it has become a pretty iconic iconic brewery. Um, but uh, they're reaching that that age and that 
that uh, scale um, where uh, they're not they're no longer the newest latest uh, they're sort of big now they're not kind of the young upstart um, so it'll be interesting to see how they weather the sort of uh, it's hard weird to call it middle age but it is kind of like a middle age of craft beer now and um, uh, how that's going to affect them yeah they 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 were uh, an IPA house and then they expanded and they do some great lagers and other stuff and uh, they have a big brewery gorgeous facility um, but you know brewing is tough and now they have to defend their turf and so we'll see what the next ten years look like yeah I'll say that I've been pretty impressed with the the wide variety of beers they've sort of grown into after really being kind of like a a super big IPA house with lots of hops and now they brew really quite a quite a wide array of styles yeah i actually like their their they do a, a pilsner a kolsch uh and a hellas that are just like spectacular so yeah. i like those beers a lot anyway right. well congratulations nikazi <laughs> yes so let's turn now to uh to the main point of the podcast today which is our panel discussion um uh before we do that i'll just give you some uh little facts about uh mm-hmm. women in craft beer uh in 2012 uh, a survey by the Gallup uh, group showed that 20% of women prefer beer to other alcoholic be- beverages. In comparison, 53% of men chose beer as their first choice of alcoholic be- beverage. Uh, women account for 25% of total beer consumption by volume in the United States, uh, but account for 37% of total craft beer consumption. So it looks like that women are uh, enjoying craft beer um, to a greater degree. Uh, an Auburn University study found that women make up uh, 29% of brewery workers. This was surprising to me. I think that might include uh, staff at places like brew pubs. Right, and and maybe uh, office staff. And maybe office staff, sales staff, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, um, in the 18 to 34 uh, age group, according to a recent poll, beer has taken uh, the first choice of drink away from white uh, wine for women in that uh age segment. So, wow. So millennial women are, that's a growth market. Uh, exactly. So this is, this is, we're going to, so this is, gives you an, an idea of um, what the landscape looks like. Uh, what we wanted to do though, is talk to um, some women who are actually in the industry um, and involved in beer in myriad ways, different ways, and get their take on whether we should even be talking about women in beer. So let's turn to that uh, discussion now. I do want to mention that we did have one little audio glitch that uh, occurs um, towards the beginning uh, where we have cut off a tiny bit of audio. We lost about uh, 10, 15 seconds, um, and I note that as we go along. Um, but without further ado, Jeff, shall we turn to our discussion? Yeah, let's, let's listen to this wonderful discussion. Okay, I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you all for coming. Uh, this is the most ambitious podcast we've ever done. We are at uh, the Bad Habit Room of Cerevesa's wonderful uh, tap room here in North Portland. North, not Northeast. Sure North. are. <laughs> um, and uh, we are going to have folks co- go around the table and introduce themselves so that you can begin to associate the uh, voice with the name. So why don't we start with Sarah and you can introduce yourself and tell us uh, what in the world of beer you do. Thanks, Jeff. Well, my name is Sarah Peterson, and I am the owner and one of the operators of Sarah Vesa, which is a bottle shop and a beer bar where we curate our draft list and our bottle shop. And um, I've been working in the beer industry for about 10 years now. 
How long has CeraVase been open? CeraVase has been open for eight years. Right. Er, yeah. It's one of the first good beer bars in, in town, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Cheers to that. Oh, um, my name is Lee Hedgeman. Um, I uh, work at <laughs> FH Steinbart. Um, I'm a brewer um, in various places. And yes, that's uh, I've been in the beer scene for, gosh, almost uh, six years now. What's FH Steinbart? It is the <laughs> oldest homebrew store in the United States. It'll be celebrating a hundred years in 2018. Dang, wow. I didn't know that. Nice. Very cool. Um, I'm Lucy Burningham. I'm a writer and journalist, and I've written about beer for a lot of publications: uh, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Savour, Bon Appetit. I've written two books about beer. One of them is called Hop in the Saddle: A Guide to Portland's Beer Scene by Bike, and the other one is called My Beer Year, and it comes out in October. And Lucy Burningham wrote the single best article about fresh hot beers ever written in Aww. the New York Times. Man, thanks, Jeff. That's, that's so nice. Um, my name is Natalie Baldwin. I brew at Burnside Brewing, and I've been brewing for a year and a half. Uh, before that, I cellared a little bit and was a beer tender at a small brewery in Portland, uh, Pints. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was really fortunate to learn to brew from a couple of different really great brewers. Um, one is Alan Taylor from Zoigel House, and the other is uh, Sam Pecorero, who brews over at the Commons now. Uh, I'm Emily Ingdahl. I've been in the beer world since about 2010, officially. I started out um, just being a beer geek and formed PDX Beer Geeks, which was community education. About craft beer, I started writing and blogging and went from there, sort of uh, wrote with Travel Oregon, 1859, and a couple of different other publications, and then from there moved on to form my own, uh, my own website, Oregon Beer Country, and then somehow got swept up in the Pink Boots Society at a volunteer event and ended up in 2013 as their executive director. <laughs> so <laughs> my official capacity now is as the executive director of Pink Booth Society, which is a nonprofit association for women in the beer industry. And who, who can be a member of the Pink Booth Society? Who all is involved in that? Uh, well, currently we're open to any woman who makes any portion of her income professionally from beer. Okay. And, and what's the membership <laughs> these days? Uh, the membership is currently holding steady between 2,800 and 3,000 in 39 countries around the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. International. Didn't realize that. Well, thank you all again for coming. Uh, we are going to have kind of a, just a, I hope, a sort of freeform conversation. Uh, Patrick and I are going to do our best not to interfere with your wisdom uh, as we listen to you guys talk about your experiences. Um, but just to kind of seed the uh, conversation, if you could talk a little bit about at as you're comfortable jumping in, uh, how you got into the beer world, what attracted you to it, what your sort of pathway was, um, how you found yourselves where you are now. I can speak to that. My big brother, this is Emily, I, my big brother uh, homebrewed ever since he was in high school and um, 
sort of being creative in the kitchen was always a big part for everything that we did in our family. So it was natural when he was homebrewing, I wanted to learn what he did. And he taught me and I fell in love. So I started trying every beer that I could possibly find. I would go up and harass the people at our grocery store to find me a new 22. And I found eventually um, Tricera Hops from Ninkasi. <laughs> and that, that was the moment that I, I literally had an epiphany. I was just like, I can't believe that there's something out there that tastes like this. And I think that was 2007. Um, and from there, I was just, I was hooked. So I started learning everything I could about beer and reading voraciously and hanging out with anybody that I could find to talk about beer and just finding out anything and everything about every aspect of it that I could possibly. Um, <laughs> this is Natalie. Everybody's looking at Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> it's my turn, I guess. Um, I kind of accidentally fell into brewing, wasn't really planning or had any idea that that was what I was going to do. Um, I had worked in valet parking cars for like six years of my life and hated it and didn't really like know where I wanted to go with my life. And I had studied biochem in school with the initial idea of becoming a vet and decided that's not what I wanted to do and just was working service industry jobs and worked at a, a pub, Pints, and right when I first started, Alan Taylor started working there, and I had never met a brewer before and didn't really understand what was going on, but you just kind of have this, like as an outsider, you have this idea of just beer being this um, kind of thing that happens, I guess, when people are just hanging out in their garages, or I don't know, I just had this picture of like what homebrewing was, and I saw this like mathematician and chemist and really intelligent, driven person, and uh, was really attracted to the fact that it was so science and um, just knowledge-based, and uh, he was really perceptive to the fact that I wanted to learn more and was really interested in it all, and pretty much just let me follow him around. And I'd be like serving tables, and he'd be doing something I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, what are you doing now? What's that smell? And uh, just slowly taught me things, and um, had the opportunity to become a seller person at Burnside Brewing, and from there worked for um, as a seller person for a couple of different or for a couple of months, and then a brewing position opened up. They opened it to the public, and a bunch of people applied. And you know, you're working in a brewery, so you get hundreds of resumes. And they told me they're like, you know, you've only been cellaring for a couple of months, and you know, you're not really ready to be a brewer. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely not ready for the responsibility of that. <laughs> and they decided that I was driven enough and passionate enough and worked hard enough that they wanted to give me the opportunity to have that brewing position. So they offered me the job, and I was like, oh really? Okay, cool. <laughs> and so I've been brewing four to six times a week since then, and uh, crazy. And here is where we had a little technical malfunction. Uh, and so we will cut in now with Lucy Burningham speaking. And as a journalist, I just started asking questions, pitching stories to my editors, um, kind of learning through the process of writing, which was really fun. And um, I just last year decided to pursue becoming a certified Cicerone, which is what my book is about. And that was a whole other journey, like depth of beer that I never knew I could pursue. It was, uh, it was fascinating. So that's, that's my story. So 
Were you interested in other things? Were, were you drawn exclusively to beer, or were you also looking at other things? I was interested in other things. You know, as a freelance writer, I kind of write about what interests me. And um, I was getting my master's degree at Portland State University. My thesis was about truffles, Oregon truffles. So I've always really enjoyed writing about food and flavors and also science. So beer kind of brought all those things together for me. And it is definitely my favorite thing to write about, hands down. Lee, I guess Lee, you're I'm oh, passing the baton. We're, we're looking all at you. Yeah, also. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think uh, I am actually from Portland, so my beer experience has been that I hated the smell of it. Because as a kid, mm -hmm. I uh, went to, I was in, I would always run around Portland and downtown. Henry's. And Henry's, yes, from <laughs> all those places. It would smell, and I'd be like, what is that horrible smell? And it wasn't until like 15, 20 years later when I started homebrewing and got kicked out of all these houses that you know, friends would be like, oh, can I brew at your house? And I'm like, yeah, we'd want to learn. And the smell, which smells like cooked green beans, um, they were like, you can't ever brew here again. So that's what my experience was like. It smells, and as a kid, I hated it. As an adult, that was like the best thing in the world because I was like, yay. I mean, being kicked out of people's houses so you could brew there anymore um, was bad, but uh, the opportunity to homebrew uh, was that. And I actually really jumped into homebrewing when I was in graduate school uh, as a way to balance out the various cerebral process of getting my PhD. So I, <laughs> the running joke was that my advisor would be like, I love the fact that you bring me wine because at the time I brewed anything and everything that wasn't nailed down um, <laughs> in my house. The running joke was if you went to my refrigerator and it was in a to-go box, it was safe to eat, but anything else was free game and you had to ask first. Um, so she'd be like, I love that you love, you're like really into this as a hobby, but could you bring me a chapter next time you come in? And I'm like, oh, a chapter? She goes, yeah, of your dissertation. You know what you're here for school for. <laughs> <laughs> so when I left um, University of Minnesota to come back to Portland in 2009, I was under the impression I was going to finish my dissertation. Oh, and by the way, I was just going to improve and work on my brewing because I was right back at home and there were so many homebrew clubs and breweries there and it took about two years before I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do and so I started literally helping at any brewery I, who would have me and the running joke uh, for, was that people always ask well how many jobs do you have because at any given time I would have like three or four different jobs at all these different breweries um, homebrew shops uh, I did all sorts of things just to to learn about the process because it's really different going from a homebrew scale to a production scale and um, having no experience but being able knowing the process is really different and I got my break uh, gosh Old Town Brewing Mm. Watched a lot of kegs. I am a very talented keg. <laughs> I have to say that. It's like, uh, I'm very proud of that skill. Uh, I was at Old Town. I was at, managed a homebrew shop. And then I also, gosh, where did I, where else was I? Oh, and then I got the job at Pints. Um, that's how Natalie and I met. I got the job at Pints. Then I dropped one homebrew shop to start to work at another one. Kept both Pints and Old Town. And for a good almost nine months, worked three different jobs. Um, 
and and never slept and rode the bus all over town. Oh my gosh, yes. hours. That was it. I didn't know how to drive either, so I had to take the bus wow. everywhere. And sometimes I'd be working in two places at, on the same day, and so really long days. But I loved Not it. Not super like, convenient. Convenient yeah. schedules either, so you're just like <laughs> like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Good thing I'm a morning person. <laughs> I I finally just uh, I think I dropped one of those jobs, <laughs> and then I was only at two places, um, and then I finally I think I settled into working just at Steinbart's, the homebrew shop, and Pints for a while. And I actually just recently left Pints. But then started up at two other breweries. So now I still, so I'm at back at the magical number of three shops. Uh, two breweries, one home shop. Wow. So that's yeah. a real commitment. That is a lot of commitment. That on top of all the volunteer stuff I did. So you're everywhere. And you were like us. The president of the uh, president brew crew, Oregon Brew Crew, largest homebrew um, club in the state of Oregon, third largest in the nation third oldest in the nation. And how many women, back when I first started writing about beer, I don't think there was a single woman in that club. What's the, how many are in there now? They're probably about, I would say, 25%. Okay, that's um, a real big improvement. Though. And the increase in, and of that, I would say maybe 15% of them are brewers mm -hmm. uh, on their, in their own right. And that's a huge, huge change. Um, from when I first joined it back in 2010, and right. but worked really, really hard to make sure that um, that I actually worked hard to increase the number of women in the club. I remember that. This is Emily. I actually remember that coming in and um, learning about Oregon Brew Crew in conjunction with what we were doing, you know, sort of with PDX Beer Geeks. And when I met you, I think I recall that there were it was like three women in Oregon Brew Crew. And it was, it was unheard of almost to have that much like camaraderie. And then we met Chris, uh, Chris the Red McDowell, yep. um, and that was just sort of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, well, there's a few of us out here. It was the approach <laughs> yeah. that people took was like they, there were a lot more women. There were mostly wives and girlfriends, and I think what the approach was was that was that people were, um, they felt that if you were in a homebrew club, you had to know how to homebrew. And my approach was, well, somebody's got to be quality control. That's, that's what you do. They make, you know, they make the beer, but you're just as important because that's five gallons, and it's going to take more than just him to drink it. And if you're not going to drink it and offer feedback, which you do, you know, you're just as important in the process. And I think people forget that uh, it, it comes. You you got the you got the making, but you still have to have the drinking, and that there's a place for everybody in that hunger club. So once that changed, a lot more women joined, and we're a lot more vocal in the fact that, you know, I don't make necessarily brew beer, but I know beer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sometimes gets lost in this whole thing of, um, it's not just that you're doing it, it's what you know about mm -hmm. it. There's so many people who know so much and they sell themselves short. Sarah, what are you? So yes, this is Sarah again. Um, well, when I moved to Oregon in 2000, I remember pretty distinctly going to a bowling alley, Grand Central once, oh, yeah. ordering <laughs> an IPA. And I turned around and I said, what is an IPA? <laughs> and I remember knowing nothing about beer when I moved to Oregon. 
And um, a lady told me behind me in line, she said, hurry on, sweetie, I want to order my beer. It's bitter beer, bitter beer. And so I tried it, it's great. But, um, but I was working in a lot in restaurants and around a lot of chefs, and this is a great food town. And, and not only is it great to eat here, but it's great to talk about food and discuss food and learn about food. And um, there was a lot of wine around that. And I, I like wine, but I didn't love wine, I think. And um, when I discovered my, my beer, my epiphany, um, I started talking about beer the way these people were talking about wine. And it was fun because I could go to these chefs and, and be like, um, and ask them, ask them to taste the beer and we would have these discussions and so it became really fun and not only that not only were they chefs but they were entrepreneurs too um and so i became really interested i joined the brew crew and i went to the american brewers guild and i got my certificate in brewing thinking that i was going to be a brewer mm -hmm. thinking like i'm the chef of beer you know like mm -hmm. you know all these um, chefs, so this is this is what I am meant to do, and and then I interned in a brewery, a Hair of the Dog Brewing, which was a brewery, the, new space. the old house. space, uh, yeah, which right. was very near and dear to my heart, and, and actually another brewer that is very chef forward or food forward, and so that was really fun. And, and another alumni of the brew crew, he came through the yeah. brew crew, so it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. red here. Yeah, and actually that's where I met him in one of the brew crew engagements. Alan Sprintz, that is. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job working at the the new old Lompoc, the old unexisting location, Lompoc, <laughs> okay. um, cleaning the kegs. Old. Yeah, the old, old, old. cleaning <laughs> kegs and working in the brewery. And I quickly realized I didn't want to be a brewer. No, it wasn't so much the cleaning, it was the cold. I didn't like the hot cold. I didn't like getting wet. And then I really struggled with that. And, um, and I realized, well, well, maybe what I like so much about all these people and discussing it was not only the imbibing and the tasting, but I, I was really excited about the entrepreneurial side of, of work, too. And, and so I kind of went back to my roots, and that's when I put together um, Cerevesa. <laughs> Cerevesa, and for me, it, here at Cerevesa, it is the beer. The beer is what's on the, the plate here, but, but food is really important to me, too. But so it sounds like we. One thing Patrick and I were wondering how to gingerly enter this uh, this discussion was: Is it actually different to be interested in beer if you're a woman than if you're a man? And it seems especially appropriate to ask that question now because the stories that you've all told sound a whole lot like the typical story that you would hear anybody talk about. So is it? Do you think, in your experience, should we even be asking the question? Is it relevant? Like. Should we be talking about women and beer, or maybe we should just be talking about people and beer? I think it's really important to make it a non-issue, but we're not there yet, and mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of reasons that it's like that. Um, as a brewer, I've had many situations where the public has treated me different for being a brewer, but as far as the industry goes, I don't get that at all, yeah. ever. Um, I tr I'm treated like an equal. I'm um, I'm taken seriously. I don't have anyone like second guess or question me. Uh, but then other like uh, part of me, um, people that come and drink in the pub are like, "You're the brewer." 
I'm like, yeah, why? And they're like, no fucking way. And I'm like, yeah, why is that weird? And they're like, I've just never seen that before. And um, But outside of that, uh, there's been a couple situations where, like, as a beer drinker, I've been treated differently by bartenders, but it's not necessarily in Portland. And uh, I think we're on the way to becoming a non-issue, but it's not yet that. I think a lot of times people want it to be an issue. Like, it feels to me like it keeps on getting brought up like so many other issues. And it's, to me, it seems like the talking about the issue being an issue is just sidestepping what everybody really needs to do, which is just get on with it. I feel like the further we talk about the separation of women in beer or women's experience in beer or how women feel about beer, really, to me, beer is so much more about who, who individually is drinking it and what it means as the community because that's really what I fell in love with. This is Emily. Was the, <laughs> was the community of, you know, and I always said it's like um, you find this like-minded people who for all intents and purposes are a wide and varied and interesting intellectual, just they come from such a different, I mean, just around this table, such a different varied background but everybody comes to beer with not only a love of, like what Sarah is saying, it's, it's a love of the excitement, it's learning, it's, it's the tastes, it's the experience, it's the, the family that gets built around it, it's the, the multiple experiences that you can have with people who you may not ever have met up with or talked to before, but there are these things that extend across all types of barriers with beer and I feel like the more we talk about women in beer or men in beer or what your individual experience is in beer that's not really the point like it's more about what can beer do for everybody and how beer attaches itself to the story of humanity and how we come from that history as people and then culturally what we each can bring to it but not gender-wise. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's pretty incredible when you talk to different brewers, just like we're introducing all of our stories here. You talk to brewers all around town, and some people are lawyers or chemists right. or home brewers or builders or whatever it is. It's really interesting that like every single brewer that you have has a different perspective, and you might see it in their beer, you might not, depending on like what their background is. But like you said, what everybody brings to the table is really quite fascinating. Emily, I totally agree with you on, you know, sometimes I just don't want to talk about the issue, Mm -hmm. even though I think it is an issue. Mm -hmm. So I guess I agree with both of you guys. But one of the reasons I don't like to bring it up and focus on it too much is I hate the marketing towards Mm -hmm. women, you know, like, let's make a beer where ladies will like, and that just rubs Mm -hmm. me the wrong way. I do not think that's contributing in a positive way. That was one of the questions I was going to ask in Lucy's talking, by the way, just, uh, <laughs> um, which is, there seems to be, and I don't know if this is the craft beer industry or maybe the bigger brewers, but there's this narrative that there's this great potential market out there, and it's women who like to drink fizzy drinks and wine, and if we only so figured out the right kind of beer good. for them, mm-hmm. then, oh, we're going to make all this kind of uh, money. So, um, is, there, is there a female beer out there that we're not... Well, I think that Patrick's always interested in markets. That's just ridiculous. I get at, this is Emily again. And I'm the reason that I get asked that question a lot is because people assume that as you know, I have some sort of like secret insider knowledge to what girls want to drink. Right. 
because <laughs> I because I know like I have some corner on the market. You're an email, <laughs> and right? I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and as and I at one point I said to someone who was interviewing me, turn that question around, and I want you to assume then that if it were not ridiculous to market a beer specifically to a woman based on a flavor profile or some assumption. Then let's turn that around. That means that you gentlemen, if I'm going to make some sort of stereotypical assumption, the only thing that you guys are going to get to drink is going to taste like hot dogs, steak, <laughs> coffee. It's going to taste Sweat. like smoke. It's going to taste, yeah, like gym socks. So, I mean, that I think exemplifies how ridiculous a question it is. We're talking about so many different factors that can bring flavors and personal preferences and experiences to what is in front of you at any given time. I mean, I love all sorts of beer, but I'm not going to drink the same thing on a hot day as a cold day at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning with lunch as I am. <laughs> right? 9 o'clock? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it changes, and I think that it shortchanges everyone to assume that there's some sort of magical marketing that happens to male or female, depending on what it is. Sarah, you're on the retail side. You watch people come right. in, and, and in, in Portland, it really seems like uh, there's no... When you walk into a pub, it really seems like it's 50-50 men and women. I, I wonder if there's any patterns. What have you noticed from the retail side? Well, I, on the retail side, I definitely say there's more men, um, but I do I do have a lot of interaction with customers, and I and I do feel real sensitive to the topic. I, I don't always think the topic isn't so much about me as a woman in beer, but I think about it's my customers, and who are the people that the breweries are targeting, um, and who are the bars targeting. You know, what is the comfort level in in this venue? Are there um, are there TVs blaring sports everywhere? You know, is that comfortable for everybody? I don't know. And also, like, just because you you have the gender of the woman, you know, we all have different sexual preferences, and I think this conversation does get bigger than just a, a woman and beer. Because I think that, like we're saying, it's not just for one gender or the other, but um, there's so much more going on, you mm -hmm. know. And, and when you look at mass marketing, especially going back... Uh, I guess it's even in the 2000s, but you go to the 90s, the 80s, and all the way back to the 50s. I mean, it was geared toward the heterosexual male, and that's been changing. And even mm -hmm. even Bud's changing their marketing lately. They have, you know, you've seen the colored, you've seen the colored cans, and you've seen things. So they are trying to do something magical, even to the same mm -hmm. product. Um, but I, but I, but I think craft brewing is doing something different. Um, not necessarily all of them because, you know, there's double G's and <laughs> whatever. I mean, there still is the, the sexual innuendos. But there's some real beautiful labels out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that necessarily attracts women per se, but it might attract the femme in all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's where I get sensitive when we talk about women because to me it's just like, well, what does being a woman mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it mm -hmm. means I got this genitalia. You know, <laughs> like it's a bigger issue. Or even I an think. identification. Like exactly. But I'm in Portland, so yeah. I think about these yeah. things. <laughs> and my thing, in, when people come in for a beer, I just want them to be comfortable regardless of who they are, what they look like, and, and, and what they got going on. We're lucky in Portland, I think, <laughs> with the wide range of people. Because I get asked, or somebody wrote to me and said, is there a beer that is, or a glass that is gayer? Like, literally wrote that. Is there a glass that is gayer? And I thought, my first instinct was to write back immediately, like, if I'm gay, are holding you, this glass, are you, is this gayer? Like, are you actually, like, are you for real, like, 
actually asking me this question, then I had to remember not everybody lives in Portland, Oregon, and not everybody is as far ahead of where we need to be as where we're at. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and Portland even has so far to go. I, or the answer could just be no. Actually, no. So I want to ask a question that's a little bit different. Um, Before we change that, can I say okay. some more things? Yeah. This is Natalie again. Um, an, another weird perspective that I've had to deal with um, as a brewer, um, I make things that I think are going to taste good and hopefully other people like that. Uh, it's kind of selfish, but that's just the way that it is. So I make this beer that I think is delicious. and. Um, <laughs> whether it has flowers or smoked malt or dark malt or light, whatever whatever it is. I've had this continuous, interesting wall that I've hit where I'll come up with a beer name and I think it's like fucking cool. And people are like, well, that's kind of girly. No one's gonna order that. And I'm like, challenge accepted. And I keep like, and I keep doing that. And I'm, I'm either, I've been both surprised in, in both directions. Um, I named this Pilsner that wasn't particularly like to a Pilsner style, and so I name it a Pilsner because, again, I'm entertaining myself and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and um, I named this one that was like a, a small Pilsner, and I called it Cute Little Pilsner. And um, and I had this other beer that I made with like so much hops that I didn't even tell how many pounds of hops I put into my boss because I didn't want to get in trouble because it was like ridiculous <laughs> and. I was like whirlpooling and it was green. I knocked out and it was green. Like the first three days I did gravities, it was green. And I was like, oh no. And um, I named it Wicked Witch of the Pacific Northwest because the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz is green. And I was like, damn, I'm so clever. And everyone was like, I don't know, like you shouldn't name it so girly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's so great. And uh, we went to this beer festival and the, these like, huge dudes that were just like uh it was in like a, a farm area and there's just like these like hard working dudes like coming in and being like cute little pills no, that's great i'll have one of those and i was like see everyone it doesn't have to be a thing but it is a thing in the pub and people would be like oh that's a beer sounds good but i'm gonna get something like more manly and i don't know what that means because i've made all of those beers so if you're telling me that that's something's more manly then that's ridiculous and uh and it makes you wonder if the people who have said it they're girly say that because they're with someone or well, like no because they know that you made it right but they have a lot of people don't know okay because i mean like the general people coming into the pub unless they've like unless i'm like walking around like being super sweaty and all of my brew stuff probably have no idea and and do you think they think it's girly though like little, little cute little Pilsner. That sounds, that sounds like a, a Lagunitas name. It doesn't sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To me, I, I don't quite understand. Um, but it's it's the thing where like I I agree with what everyone's saying where it shouldn't be a non-issue, but it is. And it's those little tiny things like that where mm -hmm. you have to focus on marketing. And where I work, there's like a a woman thing on on the label, and uh, we get letters all the time from like angry feminists, and like I'm a feminist, and I don't think that that is repulsive in any way, just because that's my opinion. And there's just like all these different levels of things that people have a problem with, and whether it's a guy ordering a beer at the bar in front of their buddies who doesn't who don't. Uh, want to order something that would make them seem less tough to everybody else at the bar or things like that but it's just kind of like what Sarah was talking about like 
you know, what breweries are marketing um, their beers towards. It's, it's really interesting to be on both sides of that because you see that it does make a difference. If you, na- if you name something like that and you put it on a label and people are going to buy it, like pe- there are some people who aren't going to order that and some people who will order it because they like the, the ridiculous novice ridiculousness of it but I'm so surprised the word witch is like girly and you know would be a turn off to someone ordering a beer that's just that's surprising to me mm-hmm. witch and cute are like apparently a big those girl. are on the know or yeah. less well now we know okay yeah good to know totally careful not guys surprised by anything yeah the double deep long that's like non-gendered right so that's okay <laughs> yeah. well then then what's the argument off of that like no, I, to I just, me that feels repulsive but absolutely. it's because um it's because it's normative it's male well, it's so. sexual. It's sexual, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which appeals to a heterosexual male or, or a female that likes double Ds. Double Ds. Even <laughs> so, they're like... <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, for a so long time, uh, beer was marketed by the big... Before craft beer really came along. But maybe Coors is the worst offender of the misogynic beer, misogynistic beer ad with... Uh, scantily clad girls dancing around and boys having fun. Um, but I was going to ask us a, a question that's um, related to, you know, I think of craft beer as very much an artisanal pro- product, so it's very much personality driven. And so the brewers themselves and the owners of the breweries themselves become very much sort of the figurehead for the beer. And it's still mostly men. And so is it important, do you think, to have uh, role models, uh, female role models out there? Um, brewers, owners, um, to bring more women into the profession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I spent ten years teaching in mm-hmm. higher ed, um, and I cannot tell you how many times I have had students who have never had a college class from a black professor mm-hmm. have a class from me, and it totally was like they're like I never knew that was possible. And for them... Do you just, like, blink? And you're like, um, okay. No, I don't. Because you're used to it. Because my area of study is feminist studies, so I study... (laughs) I study, um, you know, difference. I study all those things about, you know, race, class, gender, sexuality, all that, and how that impacts people in the world. So I'm not surprised. Um, I'm never surprised by that kind of thing. I'm never surprised at how shitty people can be, how uninformed people can be, how any of that stuff. Um, what I am loving and super surprised by is how quick the craft beer brewing community is to defend um, women and their own to other people. Our peers are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the fact that I told somebody this, uh, I did this actually, I had, had an interview and they were like, uh, I said, when somebody when you just unload, you know, 2,200 pounds of grain one week and the guy before you did it the other week, what the hell are they going to say? Really? I just did the job you did. Mm-hmm. So you need to pick something else to, to be an ass about. Mm-hmm. And, but that's never been the case. Like once you can do the job, um, it's like, oh, what, what are we going to be mad? What are we going to be find to find difference and to find take exception to there isn't so there you know it's like when you're in you're in Mm -hmm. and one of the most amazing things about that is how much um, men in general have stepped up to 
uh, call people and call other like general populist you know, beer drinkers on things that they say. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why it's important to always bring attention to it. Mm -hmm. Because you start the conversation with your peers, then you don't ever have to do this conversation with a stranger. You know, that's, somebody is there, they know how hard it is to, for you to have to always confront things that people say. Um, you don't have to. And so that's been, you know, that's why it's continued, that's why it's important to keep talking about it. That's why it's important to keep bringing it to people's attention because they don't know. And once they're aware of it, then they begin to see it happening all over. So then they're, they're a force and the force just gets bigger. And that's, I mean, in some ways, that's why I agree kind of what you guys are saying, what Emily was saying, what you're saying, Lucy, but at times I fundamentally disagree with it because of that reason alone. I'll say for the first two years I lived here, I was mistaken um, <laughs> for a, another home brewer turned professional. We look nothing alike. <laughs> um, but Except in very broad categories. No, yeah, super broad. <laughs> but until it got to the point where it was just like, you know, no, I'm sorry. Um, I would just say, no, that's not me. Um, and Annie, we tell the story to each other. Annie Johnson works at Pico Brew. Um, she actually gets mistaken. She used to get mistaken for me. <laughs> and we finally got a chance to meet face to face. And we're like, let's take a picture together so people can see. <laughs> 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 so, you know, we're here. We're, we're, they used to think that I was in two places at once. And she's like, yeah. Like I spell this time, <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, like it's important to see difference. It's important to kind of acknowledge it, but it's also important to kind of like be there and acknowledge how the, the wonderful support that the craft beer community has for people. Um, I love that. It's so nice to hear that positivity. And I have to say, as a writer coming into this sort of male-dominated world, I have been so welcomed. I have you know not been talked down to. I just feel like. The beer community has been awesome, but at the same time, I'm one of a few women in the room at so many beer events, and I feel that, oh, yeah. and it's uncomfortable sometimes, and I don't want to bring it up because, you know, I'm like, well, I'm welcomed, and all my questions are being answered, but I'm one of the few women in the room, and I notice, and so that's why I think it's important to bring it up and to kind of showcase voices of women like we're doing now yeah. so that other people who might feel excluded know that, hey, there might be a space for you, you know? Mm -hmm. well, That's why you go to, I mean, I go to events. I don't want to. I'm tired. I'm tired of drinking. Some days I don't want to drink anything. Not even water. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I but I go to these events because you people see you. And when they see you, they see it as a possibility. So I don't think of it as a part of, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you just have to do that. and. You know, it's why I did that, you know, sitting festivals all day behind a booth talking to whoever wanted to come up and, you know, because it's like they have these questions. But I love it when, like, you go to a bar. I used to sometimes just sit at the bar at Pints and I wouldn't, and the bartenders knew not to tell anybody that I was a brewer, so I just wanted to sit there and hear what people had to say about me. Creeping, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. just listening. I know. I know. I know. It's so yes. funny. It's like, you know, you just want to... But then we're like, oh, what's well, good stuff? It's interesting. What's not so good stuff? I don't. Know. <laughs> but I loved it. This is Natalie, and I'm not trying to like be the feistiest, but I feel super feisty about all these things because I had this like really interesting like bubble that was extremely popped this year, and 
when I first joined the Pink Boot Society, I was really excited about like meeting other women brewers and just women in the beer industry, and I thought that was super cool, but I didn't really understand like why it was a thing. And I was like, I'm treated just like everybody else. There's, there's no reason that this needs to be a thing. And, and you get all these uh, men telling you that they're like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, how would you feel if we started like a, a men's boot society? <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds stinky. But um, <laughs> not as smelly as my boots, but whatever. Um, and that's just kind of like how I felt where I just had this kind of like privileged situation where I was just like everybody else and it wasn't any big deal. And um, I went to CBC in Portland, learned a bunch of stuff, met a bunch of people, it was super cool. And then I went to the East Coast this year for CB the Craft Brewers Conference in uh, Philly. And I got treated so differently mm. and I had never experienced mm. anything like that in my life. And you know, here and there, little, little situations, but nothing um, consistently, just kind of like some jerk guy, but not my peers. And I would be standing in a circle and they do the thing where they pass by you and introduce themselves to everybody else. Or I would be having like a serious beer conversation with someone because I like thought that their brewery was really cool and I really respected the beer that they made. And then they'd be like, so like, what are you doing later? and are like hitting on me and but I didn't like quite get it later or can't quite get it right away and I was like oh do you want to like talk more beer later are you offering me a job or like what's going on <laughs> and then I realized what was going on or just like the situations kind of like that or just getting talked down to or people assuming that I'm a salesperson not that there's anything wrong with being a salesperson but you shouldn't assume and it's not just men it's women I had one recently a woman recently um we were at the Oregon Beer Festival and um, everyone had been drinking for hours and started like changing name tags around and I, oh, I ended yeah. up having uh, my friend Karsten's um, name tag on and he's opening uh, Ross Island Brewing and she was like, where's Ross Island Brewing? And I was like, oh, approximately um, on Ross Island. And, um, <laughs> She was like, oh, you're not Carson? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, that's cute. There's not that many women here, so you can pretend to be a brewer. And I was like, oh, shoot. Oh. And like my, my friends were standing there watching, like watching in slow motion, just like you know, everything getting, just watching me getting frustrated. And it just happens all the time. And I didn't understand why there needed to be a place for women to, ha like just, just that like space where it's a fuel. To refuel yeah. and to like kind of have that moment of like, you know, you don't always have to talk about these things. I don't always talk about like why it's difficult, but sometimes it's nice to just have that moment and then you can, you know, empower each other in whatever way that is where you just talk about beer or you have an event or you brew beer together or you just do something cool and it just feels good. And I do those same things with men that treat me equally and, uh, but it was just really interesting for me to be like this young woman um, and realizing like what all these other older women, you know, feminists or other men who have fought for women's rights, like whether you're talking about voting or whatever it is, like I just didn't ever experience that before because I'm a 26 year old girl that hasn't really had to deal with that. And um, it was really great to like have that moment and get it. And so now I understand why people fight for those things and why you want to be equal and why you want to get paid the same. And, and obviously, but just, um, you, you still have to remember that that's a thing. It doesn't just not exist. And it happens to me all the time with people, you know, uh, 
we had a coolant guy come the other day who didn't think that I could touch the, the radiator. It just was like all, it was just an issue and it just like pisses me off and it makes me so feisty and I want it to be a non-issue so bad and I don't want to like disagree with everybody but it just happens. It's like this subtle sexism that happens all the time. It's real. But do you think that's a beer issue or I think that's a That's a life issue, issue. I mean, <laughs> right? But we but have to start somewhere. And I mean, like, in all honesty, we, we're This in is our where room. we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're super lucky because I can spend my, I can, I'm lucky enough that I can craft my world so that I never have to do, deal with people that are not in the beer industry. Like when I was in <laughs> academia, I could craft my world. So I never had to deal with anybody who wasn't, you know, an academic. And, you know, it was like lovely little bubble. I understand the dangers of that, you know? Man, I research the dangers of that. But it's at the same time, um, I'm taking it for granted. But it's some, it's it's nice. I mean, like, but then those people go out into the other world and they realize. And when I make snarky comments, like I've had those moments. What I love best are those moments where you're standing next to somebody, and you're hearing a conversation. They're drinking your beer. They're talking with somebody. They're raving. And they're like. It's like, oh yeah, I totally love this. And you're like, oh, really? it's like, yeah, this brewery's great. And the spirit's wonderful. It's like, oh, well, the brewer is right there. You know, here, let me introduce you to I'm Lee. They're like, let me introduce you to Lee. They look at me and they're like, well, hmm. yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, your hot profile. Like, they want to get, then they start giving me pointers on what could have been done better. No. And I was just like, it got to the point now where I'm just like, yeah, but two seconds ago you thought it was great when you thought somebody who had a penis was making it. Like, is that how this is going to be? Like, I, sometimes I, I have to have a filter. That. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. I was like, I, I sometimes I have to have a filter, but then sometimes, sometimes I just go. You judge the situation. Yeah. yeah. And luckily the person was like, <laughs> my grandmother always says you can get away with a whole lot if you smile at somebody at the same time. <laughs> I've seen you do that. <laughs> she's from the South. She's like, you smile and say something to somebody and they're not really sure how to take it. Was that <laughs> sweet? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I mean, like, you say something and they're like, uh, and then it's like, so then you're like, and you see how that sounds, you know? And you want to take this moment. Uh, I like to pick and choose my mouth. like, I kind of, but that's been, like, that happens way more than, um, way more than people think. You're just like tactfully educating the public as a woman, as a woman in the beer industry. And, you know, sometimes, like Lee said, you have to say something and, and shock them a little bit and be a little bit more snappy than, you know, they're expecting. But it's important. But also, like, to be bold and to be strong and to be tactful is just so impressive. And especially when you're being oppressed in those ways and I just think that that's really great and I, I find that my peers in the beer industry like everybody has said so far they'll have your back and, and they say those things if somebody hears someone say that about me they're like whoa 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 and I think that that's really great and you know they see how hard you work they see that you're doing exactly what they're doing and it becomes a non-issue to them and so it's just like hopefully you know being a woman in a male dominated industry can just like you know you're interacting with all of these people and hopefully that can just like flood into other aspects of their life and mm. it's interesting because I'm hearing two things in listening to Natalie talk and Lee talk like two common topics and one is that the peers 
in the industry make it worthwhile and kind of wash away a lot of this commentary and then the secondary thing I'm hearing is it's the general public the blind eye the people that don't know maybe we're making general assumptions behind this curtain are saying things off the cuff that aren't so comfortable like you know and, and maybe it, so then when Lee's saying we got to be out there we got to put it out there maybe that is a solution to it right like yeah. let's put us let's let's the assumptions can stop the more more people are Women brewing or women, That's what uh, I'm women business about. owners, women mm -hmm. like what whatever. What I'm curious it is. about is the the dichotomy, and I think what Lucy and I were talking about earlier, as far as like we're tired of talking about it or tired of feeling like it's supposed to be an issue, is <laughs> my my question would be: It's not necessarily that I don't think that it's a valid issue to talk about. I get tired of being told that it's something that we should make an issue of. I agree That's the that. distinction. Mm -hmm. So what I feel mm -hmm. like is in two ways. I feel like internally we're all a very supportive and very close-knit and very, um, for the most part, with the exception of, I, I, I honestly think it's getting less and less, especially in the U.S. and certainly on the exterior, on the coasts, um, you hear way less about the experiences of females who are saying internally industry peers are the ones who are holding us down. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I'm starting to hear fewer stories like that um, in the U.S., but we're starting to hear the echoing of, you know, 10 years ago now in places and countries that are starting to come up, and they mm -hmm. still have these gender equity issues. Um, and so for me, it's a, hard, it's a hard line to walk when I say that eventually I hope that the Pink Boots Society becomes obsolete. I'd love to work myself out of a job. I don't want people to sit around and say, we're having a podcast tonight to specifically talk about women in the brewing industry. <laughs> what I want is for people to say, we're having an interesting discussion tonight with people from the brewing industry. From and, these businesses right. or whatever. Yeah. But until I hear from my female peers that their experiences are changing and that the tides are turning significantly, I don't think that the work there is done just as it's not done in any of the other great big social issues. And so for that, what Lee is saying and what Sarah just said is so important. You start where you're at, wherever you are, that's where you start. And I think that the craft beer industry is so underestimated from the public mm. as far as what good we do from the inside out. I don't think yeah. that people have an adequate or large enough or broad enough perspective for the types of beautiful social change yeah. that happens when you not only start a brewery and then a bottle shop and you bring people together and you have these conversations because I can't think of an industry that I've been involved in that has as wide a background and as supportive a network as the beer industry. Mm -hmm. I honestly can't. Community building and... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, one thing that we often do is taste beer here, and Lee has brought some beer, which it would be nice for us all to sample because we might act as slightly a little bit of a transition to something else that I think, uh, whenever you bring more people to the table, more diversity to the table, you have the chance of uh, upsetting expectations and changing the way people think about things. And one of Lee's uh, approaches to beer is 
and you've been doing this a lot. This is becoming more and more a trend in craft beer, but you've been doing this for a lot longer than craft beer, brewing um, with exotic techniques and ingredients and flavors and trying to Get beer that tastes like food. Yeah, culinary <laughs> approach. So uh, I, I asked you, I'd hoped you had some bottles laying around that you might be able to bring, and you uh, scrounged one up. I guess it's, it's probably a little premature, maybe. I'm, I'm guessing that you would like to let this go a little longer. Um, but we are, uh, we've already tasted it, and it's very, it's, it's good. So I'm not, oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not setting you up for a fawn. There you go, thanks. If, if anybody, you know, just, you, should pour. you know, with home what brews, you just, uh, you it's, take what you, we it's have a, uh, So I am what somebody once described, recently described as, I am a competitive home brewer. <laughs> <laughs> so I brew for competitions um, at home. Because <laughs> I love shiny things. <laughs> and I love winning stuff. I love ribbons and medals. So, uh, I'm a girl about the bling. Um, but the one I brought for you tonight was a, because uh, I'm also, I make mead, ciders, wine, um, fermented tea, not kombucha, but alcoholic tea. So, and I like to combine a lot of those things. This one is a smoked honey red ale so i make what's called um borchet, which is a burnt honey mead and so i took the technique for that which was um cooking the honey um, till it gets these develops these really toffee and chocolate and caramel notes um, and i wanted to smoke the honey and you the only really way to smoke honey is cold smoking it um, and i didn't have a cold smoker and so what's cold smoking um, you're smoking at a, a, a lower temperature, just using the smoke. It's like a just lower, cooler smoke. smoke stack. Because that's yeah. the honey won't crystallize, more ambient. Yeah, so it's yeah. actually yeah. It will absorb the smoky texture to it. What do you so, put it in when you cold smoke it? You usually put it in a box that's offset from your regular smoker. So it gets kind of the smokiness, but not the direct heat. Sure. Um, but this one was, instead what I did was I took a cherry smoked malt, and I put it in a jar and then I poured the honey over it, and then I put it in my pressure cooker for 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for mead makers, it's a way to create um, infused meads. So I did it with like a pink peppercorn and lavender and cinnamon to create these like infused honeys. But for this one, I used the smoke malt. So all the smoke you get is strictly from the honey having absorbed all of that smokiness from the malt. All right, so we've all got a pour. Um, weigh in. What do you guys think? We, Patrick and I, in our pigeon reviews, try to say something sensible, but um, we don't often do that. So <laughs> the, the bar is very low here is what I'm saying. It's not what but, I expected, so that's, that's what I will say about it. Oh, okay. This, is, right. this beer is not what, I would have, not what I expected it to be. How is it different? I think it's great. Yeah, by the way, I just want to say that I'll, I'll be the first to go. Uh, I, and I don't usually like smoked beers. Oh, me either. Can't stand them. Yeah, but it's this is really. Clean. <laughs> the smoke is the smoke flavor is very light, but I mean very present, but light. It's not overwhelming. I think it's more balanced than a lot of the smoked beers that I've had because sometimes they tend to bonk you over the head with it and mm -hmm. make it completely obvious, and then there's nothing that you can taste about the nuances that are underneath. And this, to me, is really um, well blended. There's no separation between the top and the bottom. It's uh, it's all very. It feels like a very connected beer from the very first to the end, 
And so for that reason, it's nice and balanced. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. No, totally would not. Sometimes, sometimes in my head, I had something completely different, and this was not what it turned out. Well, I'm glad it's. I like it. I'm just like. Yeah. It's not no, what I it's my yeah. vision. I've I sometimes had to walk away from my own vision. It's hard to accept. Yeah. Patrick, <laughs> and I, Patrick and I brewed a beer just today before we came over here, and it almost certainly won't taste like what we expected because we're sort of bad brewers. So I totally, I, I, you're a good brewer, but I understand missing the, the intention. Like in my head. And then I have to tell people, because I actually talk to home brewers all the time, and I advise home brewers all the time, I said, there's what was in your head, and there's what is in the bottle. Yeah. Sometimes you have to let go of what's in your head <laughs> and be like, just enjoy what's in the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so this is one of those moments where I'm like, I have to let go of what's in my head. Do you know what you do differently if you try to make this beer again, if you try to like execute your vision? I wouldn't leave it in a pressure cooker as long. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been, yeah. Cherry wood's kind of hard too. Because sometimes it's super bold and sometimes it's not. I have a peat one, and that one Ooh. is just, that makes me hate life. Because uh, <laughs> pe the peat is so, so strong, strong that I'm just like, man, I cannot. But I actually use that one for uh, for barbecue. Mm -hmm. So I make a glaze out of it. Mm -hmm. And I just put it on the grill with some meat. I know. So for me, this has a little bit of a, it almost is like melanoid and it, it sort of tastes like it a It does, that cooking, that's, yeah. what it, that's what it does. Yeah. And so, part of that cooking makes it really a lot of, makes the sweetness stand out uh -huh. because of the, because um, yeah. the honey. It weirdly kind of reminds me of a, of a you know, some, something between a, like a Schlenkerla and a Bach. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it, seems, it seems kind of German, mm -hmm. oddly. It's kind of velvety yeah. like a Bach. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll call it that instead. <laughs> when in no, doubt, you pick the category that yeah. best suits the beer, not the, not the beer. No, no, I totally was aiming for that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, it's hard enough when you're working with four ingredients to make a beer taste like you want it to, uh, especially when you've had experience making beer with those ingredients before. So when you start throwing in new ingredients, um, you have to work with technique and ingredients. It seems like that's a big challenge. Yeah. We love challenges. That's why we do. that's why we make beer that we're never sure what's going to happen, like putting flowers in something. So I want to springboard off, <laughs> off this kind of a, approach to brewing uh, and ask a question. But does anybody else have anything they want to say about this beer before we? I don't want to cut anybody off. Going once. Thanks for bringing it. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. delicious. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> enjoying it. So I, I do think that it's you know people like Lee bring a different perspective to brewing. Uh, and I don't know if that's because Lee's a woman or what. Probably. But, <laughs> but I think there is a positive side to this, you know. There, there, when you have new people coming into any kind of endeavor, there's a possibility that it will expand the horizon. So I think people think differently about beer. Like many of you talked about coming through it through, through food and other things. So I'm just wondering, uh, do you think that if more and more women become involved as brewery owners and brewers and pub owners who curate tap lists, are we going to see the palate affected, the American palate shift? Absolutely. You have more brains involved. <laughs> I mean, it's been, this is Sarah, and um, we've been open for eight years now, and I can tell you eight years ago, the 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 type of kegs we bought like we have we only have 10, 10 t taps and i love that because we have to curate it really tightly we don't have 20 we don't have 40 you know 
and so we really are specific to the styles. So we have our we have our lager handle. We've got our uh, you know our IPA and our double IPA <laughs> handle, <laughs> and then our you know Belgium saison or whatever you want to do in a sour handle. And it's been fun because every week you have to buy so many kegs to suit that handle. And it used to be like we would just buy IPAs out the door. And now it's fun. Like we can really back up our sour handle, and we can really back up the experimental handle. Mm -hmm. And the malt, the malt handle is probably always it, it kind of sits in the back, but that's for those people. It's for me, you know. But it is. It's been fun to watch, and it's been fun to watch people come in. And if we're talking about gender, when we first opened, people didn't want to, especially men, in stereotypically, generically, were interested in fruit in their beer. And now it's kind of a funny, like it's not. Mm -hmm. not like, oh damn, we've been missing out. This is good. Issue. <laughs> it's not an issue, and it's not like it's women are lights. only going to enter the back door of liking beer from wine to sours now. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely a different conversation, and the customers are so smart. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think yeah. everybody wants mm -hmm. to be smart, <laughs> like regardless of your your gender. Yeah, um, and and that's the fun part is they're so educated, and I think it does education does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Mm -hmm. Horizons expand. People love to share their knowledge about beer. It's so easy. Like you sit down at a stool, and that's what you do. And the more you drink, the more you share. <laughs> It's easier to be knowledgeable about beer than wine and right. often spirits as well. So it's a, I think it's a nice uh, and this is has nothing to do with gender. It's just a it's just a community you can enter and be knowledgeable about and find like minded people in places like yours. So do you really think it's easier to be knowledgeable about beer than wine? I, well, for me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you drink it more. Well, I think uh, no. I think I find the I find the the main ingredients in beer easier for me to identify, easier for me to to talk about, easier to distinguish the different styles of beer. In wine, I gotcha. find that very difficult, like gotcha. the terroir, or what the, about access? the different grapes, the different. Yeah. Sorry. Or what? Sorry to cut you off. What about access? I mean, you can buy a twelve-ounce beer for three dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. That's or yeah. I mean you can go to a you can try a flight. You can't always try flights of wine and you, yeah. just, mm -hmm. you can yeah. learn quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's Sorry a good to cut deal. you off. Yeah. It's yeah. always an interesting <laughs> thing because I always am, I'm always curious about the the complicated nature of beer mm. versus the complicated nature of wine. And it's so interesting how approachable beer is and how much sharing people do. But then when I think about wine, I know people are going to hate me, like in the wine business, but when I think about <laughs> wine, I think you have a very narrow, you know, like you have a very narrow amount of information that you have to absorb, whereas beer, I mean, I get what you're saying, like yeah. the ingredients, they are, they're easily translatable, but holy cow, to, like to have the knowledge that you have, Jeff, of, of the, like that seems almost incomprehensible to me to have that much information and that much education or, you know, 
Like, I can't comprehend that. Whereas grapes seem way more Yeah, it's grape juice. Yeah. You, right. You, you, you <laughs> right. ferment it. I mean, come well, on. Well, you're, <laughs> <talking about laughs> you're talking about it a year later. Like, <laughs> nobody's ever drinking, like, you they pick it. They're like, whoa, this is 2016. It's like, what, December 2016? Yeah. I'm drinking 2016. Nobody's drinking 2016 in 2016. Everybody's drinking 2015. Yeah, oh, that's part of it, right? It's like, well, two years. This is going to be a really good wine. I know. I have no idea. Okay. Well, and then there's also the thing. There's like 450 wineries in Oregon. So this is just Oregon alone. And uh, you know, I finally found some wines that I liked. I'm like, okay, you know, Willa Kinsey's Pinot Noir, good wine. I'm, I love that. And then, but then the vintages change, so it's not even the same wine. You know, and the minute, like the 2014 is great and the 2015 is terrible. It's like, ah, beer's so much easier. But then you like, what was happening in the world? It is like, yeah, it's like rings on a tree, though. I, I will give this about it. It's like rings on a tree. Yeah. It's like why? I mean, the closest thing beer has is the fact that we do verticals. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. it's like because right. everybody can go. Remember that year, Biss had a, that infection. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, nice. yes. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! It was like that was the best one. It was like the young. Oh yeah, I remember the year of the infection in the abyss. That was the best. You know, it's like. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I tried for a really hard, t- a long time to try and find wine that I liked. It didn't take me that long to find beer. Yeah. I tried for years to like try and find a wine that I could be like, yes, and like your one wine. Yeah, like the one to. that you'd be like, I'm going yeah. to a party and I'm going to take this wine and be all impressive. No, I just had Never. a Pinot Noir Blanc the other day that was like quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know I like wine. There's equal opportunity to drink. I like wine too. Wine is lovely. So, uh, what are we missing? Like, what if you want to communicate something essential to people? Um, and, and and I think you've done a lot. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's not quit, quit paying attention to the people. You know, there's a, there's a, there's an element of uh, don't dwell on it so much, but also don't be an ass. So it's mm-hmm. like two, enjoy two it. It's a good yeah. summary. <laughs> I always say like meeting people where they are. So mm-hmm. when I go someplace and somebody asks me, well, what do you think about this beer? What do you think? I'm always like. Do you like to cook? Yes. Well, you know, describe it in ways that, you know, tell in your own words, tell me what you're tasting in this. There's no wrong way to mm-hmm. tell it. So if you meet mm. people, if you don't tell people how they should taste something, mm-hmm. you know. I talk to people about the mechanics of tasting, you know, like retronasal, plugging their nose, maybe there's something else. If you feels like this, like how to identify physical sensations and what those mean. But I don't tell them that, um, but I use words that are accessible, like biscuit. Oh yeah, I get that. Bread or this is like these are like words and flavors because we all eat foods, and sometimes that's the best way to approach things. Like I had something that tasted like old gravy, and that was the only way I could describe <laughs> it to somebody. But somebody else was like, "Oh my gosh, I know exactly what that flavor is like." Like old gravy, like old what kind of gravy? How old, old sausage? Gravy. It was like old sausage gravy, like old diners, and that was like this huge discussion. And it was like, oh, but then from there, we gradually started talking about more things, and we add a little bit more complicated stuff. And then suddenly, they, they realized they're like, oh, I knew a lot more about this beer than mm-hmm. I thought. And mm-hmm. it was just meeting them where they were, and then taking that journey with them. And letting people know that whatever language they have is the language that's right. Is the language that's right. I said once, you know, I was tasting a beer and I was like, oh my, it's like fruit stripe bubble, you know, the fruit stripe gum when it wears out of flavor and you're left like, where'd it go? Like, and that was the only thing I could think of with this beer to describe sort of that disappointing, like, 
bottom dropping out. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, I totally get it. And you're like, ah. yeah, or like all night spaghetti feed dinner. <laughs> like, that beer was not great. To me, the beer community is one of the most inclusive places that I've ever been. It's it's my friends, it's my family, it's my job, it's a lot of my life, and I think that everyone needs to just like step back a little bit and you know remove the women, remove the men, like enjoy while you're there. Like Sarah said, mm -hmm. hang out, sit on the stool, talk to people, enjoy where you are, and remember why you like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think one other thing that's really important to think about if you're thinking about the beer community or the beer world is there's a full level of opportunity there. And it's really just up to you, you know, what you find inside and what you want to do with it. But, uh, and, and if you think it's an obstacle because of your sex, then, um, or your gender, excuse me, um, then, then maybe, you sh maybe you need to check it out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's a lot of opportunity there. And people who are willing to help whoever wants to step in and... And you yeah. belong. Lucy, you're a writer. You haven't said things. Oh, you've been, well, you've been I know. About I'm this. thinking there's so much to think about. I think I would say I would just encourage people to be open-minded, either about you know if they feel like they're not welcome or included, to maybe think twice and give it a shot, and just be open-minded about tasting and styles. I mean, there's room for everyone mm -hmm. in beer, and so I would just say, come on in, join us. Excellent. Should we play the Theodora? Theodora Heavey thing as like a future tense potential. Sure. So we, I, I've had this clip, uh, which I was kind of waiting to see if it would be appropriate to pop it out. And I, it never really did, but it's such a good clip, I kind of want to play it. Because when I was at uh, Tour Guinness and there was this amazing brewer, she was probably about your age. Uh, I'm pointing, <laughs> podcast, I should say, I'm, I'm pointing at Natalie. Uh, a, a really young woman, and uh, she runs the test brewery at Guinness. Cool. She, and she is wicked smart. So I said, so what do you do? And she said this long string of science-y things. <laughs> I, I couldn't even understand. Awesome. I said, all right, we're going to have to unpack that. I have no idea what you said. And then she said slightly more basic science-y things. And that was even hard. It had to do with oxygen and the way it, the, it affects beer. And She's a really impressive person. And then, and then at a certain point, we'll play this, you can hear me uh, awkwardly introduce the topic of, of women in beer. And she, uh, she said some pretty remarkable things about what it's like in Ireland to be a woman brewer. And I just thought it would be somehow appropriate. So we, I, I have this tape. And Did you find out if they were hired? Just say <laughs> They might be. They might be. It's, uh, you'll, you'll hear that. It's not, it seems like the barriers are not so great. Anyway, let's listen to this. this and if you guys have anything to say, you can say something. If you don't, it's just an interesting added voice. Before we do... Have a walk around and stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you're a woman. I am. In brewing. Indeed. And uh, that makes you somewhat unusual, at least for now. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I enjoy it. I don't, I suppose, maybe it's just me personally that I never look at gender as a barrier in any way. And maybe if I, maybe because I project that, I never really get anything back. So, uh, but people are always interested. It's usually when you meet, like within our brewery, a lot of girls, a lot of girl brewers, a lot of girls in kind of leadership roles, a lot of girls in the tech, the tech kind of world. 
that could be an Irish thing because if you look at engineering in colleges, you look at science in colleges, they're dominated by girls within our particular really? little island. Yeah. yeah that's um, not the case in the United States. Yeah. It's like whereas no, it's a flip here in Ireland. So we predominantly female heavy. So my class was 70% girls. Wow. Yeah. So you look at engineering and it's flipping towards um, more female heavy. But um, yeah, I think it is always an interesting topic for people and they do always ask, uh, what's it like? I think yeah, it'd be nice to have more upper body strength, don't get me wrong, to be lifting bags around and kegs, but you adapt. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, and most of my colleagues would never think that I couldn't do something, so, and maybe I'm stubborn. <laughs> All right, we're back. 70%? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that really blew my mind. Um, we, yeah. It seems, wow. It seems like there's a whole other thing going on there. Yeah, you, you wonder where that comes from. Yeah. Right? Because right. that just doesn't match up with what's going on here. Is she an engineer? Yeah, uh, she has some kind of technical degree, and um, I don't think it is an engineer. I think she's some kind of like molecular. Mm. I, again, something I very cool. I didn't really understand it. It was really above my, my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> and we actually talked about this longer. That's a, just a clip. Um, but she was suffering my at my question. She was like, I get this all the time. It's a stupid question. Mm. And she was very gracious to answer it. Um, and then when I heard more, I, I realized why it, it seems especially like a stupid question for her because women seem to be uh, becoming a predominant part of the industry there, on the brewing side especially, on the technical huh. side. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, I just... It seemed hopeful and cool to me. It's really it's cool. Really cool. Mm -hmm. really cool. It's one of the things that I, like personally, because I have a 16-year-old daughter, I'm, and because I loved science and math when I was younger and was never encouraged, I was always given, you know, you should do, like, dance or you should do arts or, you know, like, science and math isn't quite your thing. Mm -hmm. right. And so for me, being in the Pink Boots Society and, and listening to women who are really grateful for getting the opportunity to have the education that we provide and and Sarah you said something that um, you said something previously about the education like being accessible and and how like I can't quite remember but um, we're like as we're sitting and having the education and sharing it and I thought yes and what we need to do is make sure to bring it from the bottom up so it like bubbles up so that there's more people who can help educate because I think that there are so many people who are left you you don't ever get the opportunity to spread your wings like she's talking about they're given an excellent opportunity to start spreading their wings in math and science and technology I'm assuming from an early age because of the way that the system works whereas here we're told over and over and over again about the dis the, the disparate numbers between men and women and where they come to and now what we're finding is that there's a huge lack of engineers period and people and so one of the things that I'm encouraging is for our women in the Pink Boots Society to really go after the jobs where there's money mm -hmm. go after the engineering jobs go after the quality you know after all of those scientific jobs and do exactly what you want to do and make money doing it because there's a great opportunity for it right now in this industry Well, thank you so much, everybody. Sarah, Lee, Lucy, Natalie, Emily. We really appreciate your...
taking time to do this. I think this was a powerhouse roundtable. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the news uh, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I hope for the day in which um, this is a non-issue, uh, but I do uh, think that it's really important for people to hear these kinds of discussions and confront their own preconceptions and stereotypes uh, and start thinking about the industry differently. So thank you very much for coming and talking to us. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. 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 Okay, and at this point, we turn off the microphones, and the conversation gets really good. <laughs> Always the good stuff happens when the mic goes off. Uh, we want to thank um, uh, the four women for joining us uh, in our conversation tonight. It was um, uh, really enjoyable. I hope you liked it. There was a lot of atmospheric noise, but I hope uh, you could hear them um, well enough. Uh, we do our best with the equipment we have. Um, so yeah, a few notes about how to get in touch, uh, and please do get in touch. Um, you can email at the underscore beer axe at yahoo.com. That goes to Jeff. He also has the beer Vana blog, Facebook page, another good way to get in touch or the beer Vana blog itself. Uh, and you can find him tweeting at beer Vana. And this is Patrick, whom you can find, uh, tweeting at beer and blogging at beer Um, and do send us, especially if you're uh, a woman or, uh, have thoughts about, um, the the discussion we just had we would love to hear any feedback i know that uh us, even though it was a nice group it was not did not represent everyone's experience in the world so let us know if you have thoughts on this and we will i guess catch you next time that's right yeah so uh we don't have anything to cheers with now because we're doing the outro ex post yes uh but uh i will say cheers nonetheless uh and um hope you'll join us next time uh also uh just a note thanks to the all about beer magazine for hosting us and now in the all about beer on air absolutely okay until next time all right patrick we until next time cheers cheers <laughs>